told the story. Ephesians 1 and chapter 4 says, According as He, if you read back in verse 3, we know that the subject is God the Father, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. To tell the story of Jesus and His love for you starts before Bethlehem, starts before Abraham, starts before Adam, starts before the earth was. That our Heavenly Father knew a people. He chose them and gave them to His Son. And He said they were going to end up somewhere in a certain condition. According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Now realize that one day you will be literally before God. You ever tried to get an appearance before the King of England or the President? Heck, the Governor? <laughs> you trouble enough meeting the Mayor, right? But you will appear before the God of all creation. And He made a way for you to be there. Not as a vile wretch, which is what we are, but you'll be before Him holy, blameless, without spot. That's, that's the story of Jesus at the very beginning and the very end. His decision started it, and this is where it will end up to. And at that point, it goes on for forever. There's really no end to the story, but that's the culmination of being before Him holy and without blame. And we know that that, that decision occurred. He chose. That was before the foundation of the world. We know that from the foundation of the world, He wrote a book. He wrote a book. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. That Lamb that was slain. And over in Revelation 7, you can go look at that, if, or 17 rather, you'll see those who are still alive at the time right before Christ is about to come back, there'll be those who are going to be deceived um, by this false Christ, this, this antichrist, this one who comes and claims to be Christ, um, the, 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 the man of sin. We talked about that in um, 2 Thessalonians. But those that are going to be deceived um, are going to be those whose names were not written in that book. So all of those that God chose, He wrote their names in that book from the foundation of that world. That book is not still being edited. Okay, It was set down. Okay. And who will that consist of? Um, who, who, who will that consist of? Go to Revelation 7 and 9. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. Because sometimes uh, we get arrogant and proud. Um, and I believe that as a people, Primitive Baptists have the closest understanding to Scripture. Um, but heaven will be made up of more than just primitive Baptists. 
After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number. You'll have folks who say, well, there's only going to be 144,000 folks in heaven. Well, there's language in Revelation. That's talking about a particular group of people, a particular purpose that are doing something or for something. Here's the body, the family of Christ. You're a member of a family that's so great that no man could number it. I remember old Joseph, he was counting corn for a while, right? They had seven years of plenty, and he was stockpiling for those seven years of famine. Eventually, they gave up on counting. So it was more than they could keep up with. All right? This is like that, but I would suspect more. All right? Which no man could number. Of all nations and kindreds and peoples. All right? So you got the idea of not only... Um, you know, the, the, nation, the nation that you're a part of, but also ethnicities, ethnos is the word, um, and kindreds, all right? So whatever spectrum that we divide ourselves into, well, I'm not that, I'm this, because of where I live or what I look like or what my genetic background is, we can parse it up any way we want to separate ourselves from people, and there, that won't make a lick of difference. The only difference is that God chose them, period. <laughs> And, that and while they were none of them worthy by Christ's work, they are now all worthy. Right? Every kindred, nation, tongue, tongue, no matter what you speak, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And they're crying with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. All right? The story of Jesus starts before the world began with God choosing a people out of every kindred, nation, and tongue, with a multitude, a number you can't count. We have a victorious Savior. And every single one of those that He was given will be with Him. Not to give away the ending, but that's the end. <laughs> Alright? Now, were they chosen because they were somehow better? Did God look down through time and say, this person is better, is going to do something, is going to seek me? No. It's not because they were better. It's not we, Better implies that some of us are good. and we're, Ain't none of us good. On our own, none of us are good. No human is good. Romans chapter 3, verse 9. The context here is talking about are Jews better than Gentiles? says, what then are we better than they, we being Jews? The answer is no, in no wise. For we have before proved, he said, this is something we've already gone over, that both Jews and Gentiles, they are all under sin. As it is written, quoting Old Testament here, I think Psalm 14, 1, there is none righteous. Well, that's a pretty definitive statement. Is there any ambiguity there? Let's follow up. No, not one. How many righteous? None. Zero. That's a number you can count. <laughs> Zero. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. So individually, they've all gone astray. All together, collectively, there's none that's doing good. They're not profitable. Okay. It's not, that decision was not based on your merit. You didn't 
accept Jesus. You didn't want Jesus. You didn't have anything to say, Jesus, choose me. Nothing. All right? No, not one. Go at well. What's the distinction then? Why? Why choose some, not others? Romans 10, Romans chapter 9, verse 10. Apostle Paul will give an example of why did God choose Jacob over Esau? Why did he choose that younger twin brother who in his life was more of a shyster, right? He was, he was, his name was Supplanter, right? That means the younger brother who's trying to take the older brother's position, he, he did a pretty good job of it, right? He, he sold his birthright when brother's hungry. Well, here's a bowl of soup. If you're that hungry, sell me your birthright so I can have two-thirds of dad's inheritance. And then later, when you're out hunting, I'm going to steal um, the blessing that was dad intended to give to you. I mean, he was not a friendly fellow, right? He wasn't, anything about him was not saying he was going to be better. But as verse 10 says, and not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one Isaac, even our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born. So this is still while they were in the womb. Neither having done any good or evil. They had not acted on their own volition yet. They're still children in the womb. That the purpose of God, according to election, might stand. That his purpose, according to his choice, would be sperm. Not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger. She was told while they were still in the womb, why are they fighting so much? He's told us because you've got two nations within you and the younger shall serve the elder. It was God's decision. It was his choice. It demonstrated it. All right. As it is written, later it's quoting Malachi 1, uh, 2 through 3, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. All right. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Can you call God unrighteous for choosing one and not another? And the answer is the strongest negative possible. Right? God forbid that you would say that God's unrighteous. The answer is no. For he said it to mercy. The only explanation we can have is he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So it is not of him that willeth. It's not because you want something. Nor of him that runneth. It's not because you ran and you earned it. But of God that showeth mercy. That's all we can say. It's God's sovereign choice, his determination. He created it all. He has that right to choose something that's unworthy of its own and place his love upon it and decide to bring that into his family. And not just a few of them, one without number. So much that man could not number. Okay. So all were unworthy, but God chose this people, this large number of people well, why, why, why were they unworthy? You know, we, we, we say that. You know what I mean. But why do we say they are unworthy? Romans chapter 5. Because we're all under sin. We're all sinners. We are all corrupted by sin. And that goes back to the very first man, Adam. You know, I know this, boys. Romans 5, 12. It's wherefore as by one man. Who's that one man, boys? Adam, wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world. Adam transgressed. He only had one command that he was given. Don't do this. And what did he do? That. His wife was deceived. She was tricked. He knew better. He wasn't tricked. He did it anyway. It's by one man. It was by his sin, his action, that sin entered into the world. And what was the consequence of sin? The wages of sin is death. death right? So as sin entered into the world... 
and death by sin. Death hadn't been there before. Everybody was vegetarians, even the animals. No one was dying because you know sin had not entered into the world yet. Right, you'll go back and read that. What was the what was the, the food for all the animals? It was herbs. Okay? Death entered, and so death by sin. So death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Alright? You want to know if anybody you have ever met is a sinner? Wait around long enough. If you live longer than they do, eventually there'll be a funeral. Alright? I love Brother Jerry Hunt Sr. He's dead. He was a sinner. Alright? The wages of sin is death. Alright? You want the beauty of the gift of Jesus Christ that He gives you when He gives you new life in the Holy Spirit? That's the beginning of your eternal life. That doesn't end. That goes on for forever. Right? And eternal life is to know the Father and to know the Son. So we are all unworthy. Every single one. We are all under sin. Um, not only by the head of our family in Adam, his sin made us all have that corrupt nature that we're conceived in sin and iniquity from our very moment of conception. That's our default nature. That is human nature. All right? And it's evidenced every time we go to a funeral. Okay? So we were in need of a Savior to be saved from the rightful wages that we've earned. We've earned death. We have earned not just temporal death, but eternal death. If eternal life is to know the Lord, eternal death is to be apart from Him, to be eternally separated from Him. Okay? So God, and we're still in our timeline before the foundation of the world, right? God gave that people to His Son, and He determined that His Son was going to come into this world to redeem them, and He was going to have to die for them. The wages of our sin would be paid but you didn't have to pay it. Acts 4 and 28, I hope if I've got my handwriting right, is going to be the other reference. Because in Ephesians um, 1, 4 and 5, we talked about predestination, that predetermined in advance. God said this was what's going to happen. They're going to be holy and without blame before me in love, adopted into my family. Ephesians 4, or not Ephesians, excuse me, Acts 4 and 28 the church here is praying and talking about uh, what Herod and Pilate have done with all the Gentiles were gathered together. Verse 28, for to do whatsoever thy hand, God the Father, and thy counsel determined before to be done. What were they going to What did all the priest and Pilate and everybody gather together to do? Kill the Lord. God the Father had predetermined that that would occur. Okay. This is the means. How did you get to heaven? How does anybody get to heaven? Because of Jesus Christ. And God knew that was going to happen. He determined it was going to happen. So those are the two things that He predetermined and set out in advance. That those people that He chose and gave to His Son, they would be with Him in glory. They'd be holy without blame. And also that the means of Him getting there and being adopted into His family was that Jesus Christ was going to come he was going to come in, he was going to take on flesh, and he was going to be slain. He was going to pay, receive those wages for our sin. Okay? 
So we're still, you know, for the foundation of the world. And from the foundation of the world, you had that book of life written. And then you have coming into you know, creation, you have Adam and Eve, and then you have that fall in the garden, and that's when sin entered the world. Adam was told, the day that you eat of the fruit, you shall surely die. He did not immediately drop dead in physical death. We know that he lived a long time and had many children after that. But his relationship with God was severed. He became a sinner. Right? His spiritual life, his walk with the Lord was severed. And he, along with all of his descendants, needed a Savior in order to restore that. Okay? So going down through time, you have all these promises that are made. There's going to be a Savior. That, I mean, to Eve was the first promise given that he would be of her seed and it would destroy the, the serpent's head, bruise his heel and, bru and bruise the serpent's head, right? So you have this promise given of the, of the Savior and there's promises given down through time over and over and over again. He was going to be a descendant of Abraham. Abraham's an old man who didn't have any children with his wife, right? And there's a promise. He will come from you. Right? And all the nations of the world will be blessed. And then eventually at 100 years old, he has that miracle child Isaac. Right? And then there's a promise given to Isaac that your children would, uh, it would be of your descendant. Yes, and another 20 years of waiting before he finally had his first children. And then I was told the younger shall serve the elder. So you have Jacob and Esau. So it was a promise that was going to come of Jacob's descendants. And he had his whole life of going and finding wives and trying to get it. And eventually... Um, his fourth son, Judah, is promised in his prophecy to him that it would come from him, that there would be a line of kings that would come from him. And so you fast forward down, and that first king that's going to come is going to be King David. Right? And you got 14 generations between Abraham and David. And so these promises are made over long periods of time. They're slowly being fulfilled. David's still like a thousand years before Jesus. I don't know it exactly, but huge swath of time promises that God's doing. This is God's timeline. He makes a promise and he has a huge arc that he can fill in. And he can do it immediately. He's capable. Or he can have something that is promised way before the earth started spinning that'll be fulfilled way later. I mean, it's like 4,000 years in our timeline between the creation and Jesus entering into the world. So how long before he returns? I don't know. The Lord's arc and ways are much higher than mine. He told us that we wouldn't know. But we need to be alert, alert and waiting and patient um, as if he's coming at any point. All right? So David, it was promised that his seed would have um, what this, the Messiah would come from him. Right? The Savior would come from him. And so you fast forward um, another thousand years and here you met with this, this couple, Joseph and Mary. Mary's still a virgin. Both of their lineages go back to David. Right? One through the royal... Um, thread through Solomon and one through another son of his, Nathan. And there was promises about how the Christ would come into the world, that he would be born of a virgin. And that makes no sense, right? It doesn't. It's, it's a miracle. There's something going to be unique about this. It's not going to be something you could confuse it with anyone else. He was unique, right? And not only is he going to be born of a virgin, told him where he's going to be born. He's going to be born in a certain town. Bethlehem, and the way the Lord worked it out is that he was in that town, and he was born there, but it's not where his parents were from. It's not where he spent most of his time, but the Lord worked it out. So every all of these promises that were made were perfectly fulfilled. And he was promised that he was going to be a man of sorrows, which is really hard to think about. I mean, this is this is the Savior. This is the, the Son of God. This is the, the Word coming down into flesh. 
And his title is Man of Sorrows, who was rejected by his own, who was reproached. And so that's, that's, that, that, all that is required to know from, okay, you get to Bethlehem. And Jesus is born, that miraculous birth that Joseph hadn't known her. And there had been angels who'd come and told them before the conception, you're going to conceive. And then it told Joseph after that she was conceived that this is of the Holy Ghost and you don't have to put her away. And this is what's going to happen, that she's going to have birth to a son, which y'all in the days of sonograms, that may not seem that amazing to us. But an angel came and said, this is what's going to happen. This is the baby that's going to be born. It's not a girl, it's a boy. And you're going to name him Jesus. In the Hebrew, it would be Joshua. Jehovah saves. God saves. God delivers. That's what you're going to name him. He's promised a Savior. You're going to name him that God's Savior right here. And he shall save his people from their sins. All that came before, right? Those people that were chosen and given to him, he's going to save them. It's not a doubt. He's going to save them from their sins. Not from trial, not from heartache, not from not having bruised feelings here below, but he's going to save them from their sins. That's the good news of the gospel. And so he came and he lived a perfect life without a single sin. He never backtalked his mama. Right? He never he never disobeyed. Now he he stayed behind at Jerusalem one time when he was twelve, and he was in the temple when they finally found him a few days later, and he told his mother, you know, I was about my father's business. But he went home and he was subject unto these human sinners. He was under their authority because that was what was right. Okay? And he finally, at the age of about 30, he began a public ministry and he didn't go do it in such a manner where he's heaping uh, fame and glory upon himself. He's going around and he's ministering to his little sheep, his lost flock, the, the, the ugly, the brokenhearted, the destitute, the the, the, the prostitutes and the tax collectors, the ones that are hated by society, the ones that you wouldn't want to sit next to at Applebee's, right? That's who he is going and ministering to. And he's calling all of them to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he's teaching them and he's teaching about their father, not from the vain traditions of men, but from the truth and from himself and from speaking with authority. And he did that, he did that so much and for so long until the men couldn't stand it, right? They hated him, right? He was he was a threat to um, those religious leaders. And they felt like he was going to uh, cause them to lose their nation altogether. They're under Roman rule, um, and so they thought, well, surely it's better for just this one man to die, and our nation will be preserved. And they were thinking of that in one way, but the Lord was using the high priest who said that as as he was speaking as a prophet there that it was better for one man to die rather than lose the nation. But the nation that's being refer referenced there is that whole chosen people, that group without number. And so when they took him, he hadn't done anything wrong. He hadn't said a sinful word. He hadn't committed any crime. He was perfect. He was spotless. And he didn't deserve it. They had that mock trial he was physically abused. And then he was nailed to that cross. And in that process, by a miracle of grace, God allowed and the Son permitted himself to become your sin bearer. That he received 
all the wrath of God that was due to you and I in a single day, in a single blow, if you will, while He hung on that cross and He put your sins away. This is... This is something that we may talk about so much if you've been in the church for a while that somehow the magnitude wears off. It shouldn't. This is the most impressive and heartbreaking and miraculous and amazing thing that you and I could ever talk about. There's nothing greater. Brother Jerry came in here and said, I've got the winning lottery ticket and you won the billion dollar jackpot. We'd probably clap you on the back. So that's pretty cool. This is better. Amen. Far better. The government's going to give about half of that. <laughs> and you're only going to live so long, you may not even be able to enjoy all that, that wealth before it, you know, it fritters away. What Christ did doesn't go away. Amen. He has given an inheritance for you. He gave Himself... To make you worthy to receive an inheritance, which is to be with Him and the glory, and to be before Him, holy and without blame, adopted into His family. That's an eternal inheritance. That one can't be taken away. You may find you have a lot of friends when that, that money shows up, or you may find you have a lot of folks who want to sue you. Well, he done me wrong, and so I want... Right? You can have all that tied up in the courts. You can lose it all on attorney's fees. Oh, Attorneys, right? <laughs> Eternal inheritance is not subject to that. They have no jurisdiction. Who can lay a charge against you? None. Right? God is your defender. God is the judge. Jesus is the one who has already borne the penalty that you are rightfully due. Who can come in and say, I have a claim to make? No, Bubba, you don't. So Christ died. He allowed Himself. He gave up the ghost. He died. He went into that grave and His body stayed there for those three days and nights as He said it would. That's the picture that Jonah had when he was down in that belly's well. That was a picture that was pointing to Christ. He spent three days at the bottom of the sea. Um, just that crushing awfulness. I mean, terrible worst case scenario, right? That's a picture for Christ. His body lying in the grave. Now, he was with His Father. That's where the thief was. He was... He was alive. And he came back on that third day. And that body rose up. And that ascension, that well not the ascension, but the resurrection, the revitalizing of that body was the sign that the Father had accepted that sacrifice. Your, your sins are paid for. They're put away. There's no putting them back onto you. Okay? And He visited with his disciples and followers for about 40 days. And then one day, they were standing together and he was speaking to them. It's in Acts chapter 1. You can go read it. When he was done speaking, he started to ascend up into the sky. He didn't need an elevator. Certainly didn't need a spaceship. He didn't need anything. He's God. He ascends up into the sky. And his disciples are just craning their neck until he's, you know, you know, I've had a balloon go up, and if it don't pop, it goes until you, you can't see it anymore. That kind of thing. You're just looking. And then there's two angels said, you men of Galilee? What you looking up for? <laughs> Paraphrase. It's Jesus who's gone this way. He's going to come back that same way. And he is. 
And that's the period we're in now. We're waiting for Him to come back. And He's going to come back. And there's going to be trumpets. And He's going to come in glory. It's going to be mighty. It's going to be amazing. You won't wonder if it's happening. There won't be a doubt. Like lightning, when you can see it from east all the way to the west, he says that's how it's going to be. Is that every eye will be able to see. How's that going to work physically? I don't know. But he's God. He created it. He can make it work. All right? And he's going to send his angels. He's promised it. He's going to send his angels. They're going to be like the gatherers of his harvest. He's going to go and he's going to get all of his people. And you've got that language about some will be taken and some will be left. That doesn't mean that somebody's going to be left behind and we're going to have this pre-tribulation rapture where, you know, no, no. This is at the end when it's all wrapping up. That taken means to be received. And the other means to be cast off. That's the same imagery of being before the throne and him separating those that his son died for and put away their sins. Those are his. And those that are not, those are not. And those are the ones that where we all should be. And they're going to bear the wages of their sin themselves. Eternally. We believe that. We believe scripture teaches that. Is that hard for you and I to think about? Yeah. We kind of have squishy emotions. On that day, I don't think you have to worry about having squishy emotions anymore. I think we'll know better and we'll be able to see our holy God and see that, Lord, there can be no other way. And that you are holy and that you are righteous. And so for you and for me and for every other child of God, from now until Christ returns, at some point in your life, he's going to call you out of that death, out of that tomb where you exist. You're walking around, but spiritually you're dead. You have no life. You don't know the Father. And it takes the same power that pulled Jesus out of that grave, right? That resurrected miracle, that's the same level of miracle that occurs within you when he gives you new life, when that Holy Spirit comes within you, he changes your will. Oh, it's at Psalm 110, verse 3, that says, Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. Right? He gives you a new nature. He gives you a desire to seek him and serve him. Whereas before, none righteous, no, not one. There's none seeketh you. There's all gone out of the way. He has pulled you. He has drawn you to himself. If you love the morning, Lord this morning, it's because he's already drawn you to him. He loved you first. He loved you way before well, before you anything, but before the world anything is when he started loving you, right? And he's never going to stop, right? So if you love him this morning, it's because of the miracle of grace alone, not because you're better. We're not, right? Let's stay off our high horses, right? We're best when we're on our low horse, right? No horse, right? Jesus rode a donkey so we can walk, right? Get low to his feet, all right? That's the best spot. If I'm low at my Savior's feet, that's when I'm at my best. It's when I start getting up and my neck gets stiff and I get up in pride that there's a humble one coming. Either I'm going to humble myself or the Lord's going to humble me because my pride doesn't give him any glory. It shifts it to me. Okay, so at some point in our life of every every child of God, they will be awakened. Right? They'll be given that new life and they'll be able to see they're born again by the Spirit. Again, not by who wills it or who runs it. One, your will don't want it. And two, you ain't running for it. You're running away from it. Your carnal mind, that's an enmity with God. Enmity is hatred. All right? You don't go hang out with somebody you hate. Right? You flee from them. And that's everything that you were before. So if you have any desire to know more about the Lord or to be with Him or to serve Him, that's only by His grace alone. It's by the power of that new birth. Right? There's a change. And at some point, you'll start bearing 
spiritual fruit. We won't all bear the same fruit, right? You can't look and see, well, you're you're not as joyful as I am, and so you must not be, right? That's not our job, right? There's some who's going to bear 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. God's children are different, right? That's okay. We need to be focused on how can I serve God today? Yeah. How can I learn what it means to be godly? How can I learn what it means to be holy? Right? Because I want to please Him. Because I love Him. Because I'm grateful for what He has done. Not so I can look better than these other folks. Right? That's the wrong attitude. But those things of joy, peace, love, and all the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5, those are all produced because the indwelling Holy Spirit is already there. You can't manufacture those on your own. You know, one example um, is over in 2 Corinthians 8.16. Uh, it talks about the care that Titus had for the church at Corinth. And it uses the expression that God put that earnest care into Titus's heart for that church. Right? That is part of the gift that God gets the credit for. Anything good that you do in the service of the Lord, He gets all the credit. Anything sorry that you do, we get all the blame, right? We, we have to, right? God's not the author of sin. He doesn't lead you to sin. There's nothing that God wants you or entices you to sin. Now, he may allow you to be tested, but in each of those situations where you have that temptation of, do I do this? He does not want you to sin, and he also gives you a way of escape, right? You're not a slave to sin anymore, and so you and I start need to be start looking for those exit doors, right? Exit signs, right? They're probably not illuminated necessarily, but we know. And so don't try and fall in the trap of saying, well, the devil made me do it. No, we talked about last time. That ain't truth. That ain't Bible. We're individually responsible for our actions. We need to be in our word and learning what does godliness look like? Now, in part, we know because God's written his law into our heart. You know, your, your conscience, which will either excuse or accuse you, right? Are you doing what he says or are, is he convicting you, right? But we need to take that further and match it up with the Word. Okay? So you're alive. You're alert. You should be. You should be alert and waiting because He is coming back. Right? And we want to be found actively serving Him. Not passively. Not just we've got His name on our shirt. Yep. Follower of Christ. And yet looking at our life. So like, really? I, I didn't think Christ went there. I didn't think Christ acted like that. And again, I'm not, not trying to say you can get there perfectly. I know you can't. I know I can't. But there's a difference between not achieving perfection and not really trying. Right? We should be striving. We should be struggling, fighting and battling against that old man, that old flesh, that old human nature that we all have. Brother Jerry is now free from that old nature. That's great. That's a blessing. All right? In this sense, when one of the saints dies, it's like graduation day. Right? You can lay off the old and it's just the new. That's what we have to look forward to. And while we're going through that, we can be confident, one, in the work of Christ. There's not a doubt. Right? He came to save his people. He will save his people. If he went to prepare a place for them, he's promised that I'm going to come back and take you to that place. He will. That's comforting. That's something you can't get from, from the world. I, I can't you know, look at my retirement account and have any guarantee that it's going to be there tomorrow. All right? The feds could say, well, we're deciding we're just going to take that piece. Okay. 
That would be unpleasant, but that doesn't fundamentally change the truth that I know. That I'm just a pilgrim here. I'm passing through and I've got a great home. I look forward to. And that home can't be foreclosed upon. It can't be taken away. No one can say, you know, you're really not worthy to go there. And this life I can say, well, I know I'm not. But the one who represents me, the one who bought me and paid for me, he is worthy. And he has put his righteousness on me. And so by his righteousness, yeah, I can rest assured. We're going home. And he's going to keep us while we're here. We're kept and we're guarded by God. You say, this is, this is a, a lot of detail to go into the story of Jesus. Yeah, this is the good news of Jesus Christ. It didn't just start and end 2,000 years ago, right? It started way before, and it's ongoing now. What is he doing now? He ascended up, and he's sitting on the right hand of the Father. He's interceding. He is being the mediator between God and man. And you, you have nothing to advocate on yourself behalf, right? You, you Lord, do this because I'm worthy. Mm, that's a sorry argument. Lord, I come to you, and all these things I ask... What do you close your prayers in? In the name of Jesus, I pray, right? For his sake, right? Because Jesus is worthy, I ask these things. And ultimately, that your will will be done, and I'll be submissive to it. But Jesus is sitting there on the right hand saying, yeah, that one's one of mine. Lord, deal with him. He may need chastening, right? Or, you know, show mercy, whatever. The Lord is infinite in mercy and his loving kindness, and he's loving and kind to all creation in some way. But he is kind and a loving kindness in a way that's different for his children. That peace that you have, that you're in the midst of that trial, and it doesn't make sense why suddenly you can be calm. And you know that the Lord has got it. That doesn't happen for everybody. Right? That's a gift. That's a miracle. If you're going through that trial and you don't have that right now, Pray the Lord will give it. Pray that he'll give you wisdom to see. He's told us if we any man lack, lack wisdom, ask for it. And he'll give it liberally and not abrading you. And what are you asking me for more wisdom, right? You have a kind and merciful Heavenly Father. You have a loving and successful Savior who's promised he's coming back and he's going to come back in great glory. And then we get to be with him. Now there's there's... There's question marks we all have about what's exactly going to be in those last period. I don't know. Lord gives us some information, and we can spend some good time trying to understand it as best we can. But the end result is Christ is going to be here. We're going to know about it. He won. <laughs> the other details that don't don't bloody your head against the wall. Or, and don't bloody somebody else's head against the wall if they disagree with you, right? Lord's word is going to prevail. Scripture can't be broken. We talked about that last week. However he designed it, it's going to be exactly how it is. I may not understand that till afterwards. I go, oh, that's what you meant. You're right. But the end result is his people, all of his people, that number without multitude of every kindred, nation, tribe, tongue will be with their Lord. This is good news. Whatever happens to you this week, this is still true. We could get in our car and go to Alabama, get in the car wreck and die. That would be sad for those of us left behind. 
For those that have died, it's a good day. <laughs> Is it a good day to die? It seems it sounds morbid to say that. And you know, and soldiers sometimes you know pumping ourselves up. Oh, it's a good day to die. Right, right, we're going to be brave. Okay, well maybe. But if you're a follower of Christ, every day is a good day to die. All right. This world is not our home. This is kind of like the I don't know the waiting room. Right? Y'all ever enjoyed sitting in the waiting room in the doctor's office? No. Not not. <laughs> okay. Now, heaven's way better than actually getting in the doctor's office. So it's a sorry illustration, but the idea is still true that we're waiting, and the good stuff is coming. So I pray this has been a blessing to you.